On today's episode of Locked On Suns, it is part four of our season preview series. The question we're answering today, what is the ideal role for Bradley Beal on this year's Phoenix Suns? And how does he succeed within that role? Let's go. And we're back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen. Happy Thursday. Moving through our first week back daily. Appreciate you guys for listening. We're free and available everywhere, including YouTube, so just hit follow or subscribe. Get the show in your feed every day. Become an everydayer. And get locked onto the Suns as we move toward training camp. Very excited for this one. It is a long time coming. Stephen Perjone is joining us. He is a writer at Bright Side of the Sun. He covers Chicago sports for allchgo.com and is one of the smartest basketball people that I follow on Twitter. So wanted to bring him on for a show that is a little more of a deep dive into some of the basketball stuff, and a guy that doesn't maybe get as much conversation on this team as some do, which is Bradley Beal. So we're going to talk all things Beal today, how he can fit into this team and dominate within this team and all that stuff. But um, hi, Steven. It's good to have you on. <laughs> it's fun to, to have an opportunity to talk hoop with you, Brandon. I've been a long time listener of the Locked On podcast. Obviously, you do a great job individually with your coverage of the team, and in addition to with the podcast. So it's a blessing and honor for me as well, likewise. Appreciate that. All right, so let's uh, let's dive into Beal. We're going to start on the offensive end of the floor. I want to let everybody know first, today's show is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with the personal sli- supply of five antibiotics that treat 50-plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. We'll talk about them more in a little bit. But, again, the offense, Stephen, um, tell me what you think Beal's if you had to kind of like describe what his role is going to be within the starting and closing lineups of this team, or maybe just in general um, for these sons, how would you describe it? I think the first thing that he's going to be a direct beneficiary of from this team is wide open catch and shoot opportunities. He's a player that is, I think most people think of him as a shooter before anything else, which would be appropriate just because of the, versatility in his shot profile obviously he does a lot with the ball but he's an excellent spot-up shooter and he could also shoot off of movement which is two things that the Suns lacked in terms of outside of Devin Booker and Kevin Durant last season and it showed up in the playoffs specifically and primarily against the Nuggets when Torrey mm-hmm. Craig fizzled off they didn't have that player that could knock down shots from the opposite side of action or secondary or primary action that was involving Devin Booker and Kevin Durant so Having, having Bradley Beal in those spots where it was once Josh Okoji or a cold Damian Lee or a cold Tory Craig, having a yeah. player of that ilk at that spot is just going to take this offense that was already elite to another level. I think that's the thing that comes to mind first for me with Bradley Beal. That's exactly my first two notes are he's going to be one of the most overqualified off-ball scorers in, <laughs> that I can remember. Um, and 
you know, what I said is, you know, with the starters, I think with the best lineups this team will throw out there, which basically by that I mean when Book and Duran are out there, I feel like what he's going to do is really just kind of, you know, grab and go, push tempo. I think that'll be something we hear a lot about with this team. Just make the right reads, keep the ball moving if, if, if the shot's not his, and then be aggressive as a three-point shooter, right? Like a couple of years ago when he was scoring 30-plus a game, he was at seven, eight threes a night. I want him there, you know? Like I think, I think that those open looks will be there, but it's also, you know, it's that is a, a, a tall order. Like a lot of guys we think of as great shooters don't take – that many like that has to be a commitment so I, I kind of want that to happen for him but it sounds like we're a lot on the same page there I think from a lineup standpoint uh, I was thinking a lot about this too and you know most Washington lineups the ball was in his hands like even with Monte Morris out there Darrell Wright for the Wizards he he still was handling the ball but that won't be the case at all times here and I think it'll be kind of on the coaching staff and then on him to be aggressive when he does get those moments to craft the right types of lineups. But does it sound right to you? I, I kind of had it as like start of the second and fourth quarters. And this is just off the top of my head. We'll see what it looks like in preseason, but something like Beal, Gordon, Watanabe, or somebody, uh, Durant and Eubanks, and then just put the ball in Beal's hands, at least as an initiator. And I think that's the kind of lineup you could really see him thrive in. And maybe he gets four, six, eight points in those moments, and it starts to make him feel a little more engaged and comfortable than just, hey, go stand in the corner, run off a screen, do that kind of thing. I think that's appropriate. And it's the the thing with Beal is he can, especially with um, looking at the Suns last season after Mikel hit his peak and then got traded for Durant, the thing that stood out most in that stretch with Mikel was that he was able to operate as Devin Booker in the Devin Booker sets. So he would be the guy that's getting the pass from elbow to elbow after the cross screen, or he would be the guy that's getting the handoff in the zoom actions that they run from the outer thirds of the floor, or even sometimes from the middle thirds of the floor. And not just getting it, but scoring and playmaking from those scenarios. And that's where in the off Devin Booker minutes, like you just mentioned, Bradley Bill is going to be such a piece for the Suns to use just as a, as a chess piece and move all around the court. Um, I think he had like 12 games of his 52 last season where he scored in double digits out of pick and roll. And that in and of itself is something that the Suns didn't have unless it was like a big game and Chris Paul showed up. But even with Chris, we know he's looking to assist and generate points off of passes before for himself. So having a score first player that's able to not just knock down shots like CP3 could, but get to the basket. Bradley Bill is a, one of the better drivers in the NBA. And I think, again, with his overarching and all-around um, skill set offensively, the drives get lost in it all. So him being able to get to the basket and get paint touches is going to be a something another thing that really helps his offense. Yeah, I think that's been one of the things that's kind of gotten lost for him is – or lost about him is there's been a lot of talk about, you know, he's another mid-range shooter for this team that already had a, a couple of those plus eight. And if you think of him that way, but it's like, he also has increased not only his rim frequency, but his finishing when he gets there, he's been kind of his best at rim seasons, uh, especially this past one. And really it's been, that's where the increase has come from as he's taken less threes. It's not just that he's been taking a bunch more uh, from the mid-range. So I think the hope would be he keeps doing more of those two and maybe the mid-range just goes away naturally, especially if the ball's not in his hands. I also just think the offense, like 
he will be able to slide into a lot of those sets, and I don't expect that they're going to suddenly be, you know, a Jason Kidd offense or something where there's not a lot of action going on. But, like, I also do think there's going to be a greater level of simplicity with this team. And I think just, you know, people have talked a lot about the chemistry he had with Porzingis and how can he find that with Aiton or with Durant. But just quick hit screens, quick two-man game with any of the best players on this team, just easy, you know, create an advantage, drive and kick, and just keep churning through, you're going to get a good shot most of the time, you know. Um, And so I kind of had it broken up as, like, what the role will be, how he can dominate it, as I've said a couple times. And I was thinking, like, this is going to be the easiest season of this guy's life if he buys in. You know, like I, I was like, what's his role equivalent to? I know I kind of said the most overqual- all overqualified off ball scorer, but I was like, is it it's like Austin Reeves, like Malcolm Brogdon? Like he's at those guys level in terms of usage and role, but he's better than those guys, you know, or at least more accomplished than those guys. So I think this has the potential to be to come really easily to him. And he's so unselfish that I just kind of believe it's going to happen. And speaking to the the level of selflessness that he has as a player, I think one of the other things that we keep speaking to that's underrated about him because he's so good on the ball is that he's a he's a elite cutter. And I mean, not just by the scripted cuts where if there's three players on on the side and the ball's getting swung over there, he's cutting from the middle. I mean, he will read as the defense is rotating. He'll read where the sink man is. He'll cut directly there, split that, and that allow for actions and advantages to be created from that. That's selfless. He gets no stat for that. They might they might do something like a cut assist for the team, but there's no <laughs> official stat for that. And that's the things that help keep your team in a position of having high shot quality generated. Yeah. And when you have a team with shooters like Watanabe, Eric Gordon, and the list goes on and on, when you're able to free them up in the slightest bit, changing that shot quality from solid to good, if not great or excellent, that's where you start getting those 120-point games. And if the Suns are scoring 120, the defense isn't as much of an issue as people think it will be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if you're making the number of shots you expect, then defense gets a little easier that way too. And, you know, if they get to the line a little more, all these little things can add up, I think, for the defense to be, hopefully, you know, the idea would be to to have it matter less, like you're saying. I mean, I, I think this guy can have... Uh, a 50 40 90 type season you know and the free throw shooting is kind of the one element that he's never quite gotten to but he was at like 88 one year and I just think if the volume comes a little down the shots are a little easier and he's really focused on when and how his shots are coming and can settle into a real role rather than having to kind of do everything for the teams that he's been on the past few years I I think that type of season is within reach for him Um, but your point about the uh, kind of freelancing that he was doing as a cutter and just the way that his IQ and reading of the game kind of flashed at a lot of moments. I think it'll apply to the defense. So I want to jump there next because uh, he that team was just kind of chaotic and he was doing a lot of his own thing, but some of it was positive, like you're saying. And I, I think that watching him on defense kind of made me feel better about what he can be within the confines of this year's team defense. But I'll say I'm a little less optimistic about his on-ball defense the more that I watch. So we'll dive into that next. First, today's show, guys, brought to you by Jace Medical. The Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for you for emergency use. All it takes to get a Jace case is fill out a simple online form, jump on a quick call with one of their board-certified physicians in certain instances, and then get ongoing care from their physicians on any treatment-related questions that you have. Jace case 
is doctor created and doctor recommended. So don't be caught unprepared. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. And Jace handles everything to let you do that from online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication delivery, as well as that ongoing consultation and care. They have a customer review said it's easy as one, two, three, and just in time. They received the package the same day, got a sinus that they got a sinus infection. The doctor was out of town. They logged on to Jace Medical, got their Jace case with the correct medication that they needed. No appointments, obviously, for the doctor, but that quickness helped them. We know uh, things like storms or shortages, pandemics, all these crazy things that are going around the world the past few years. You know, you don't always even get to drive to the doctor if there is an appointment, whereas Jace Medical is simple. You go online, fill out the form, then you get your prescription and those life-saving medications right to your door. The Jace case gives you peace of mind, so you're not just hoping to have access. You know you can get it. Save more than $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical, plus an additional $20 off by using the code LOCKEDON at checkout at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com, promo code locked on. All right, let's talk defense. I have a, a, not as many thoughts here, um, Stephen, because I think ideally Beal doesn't have to do a lot defensively for this team. Um, but what I'll, what I'll start by saying, because I know the audience who's been listening or watching has heard me dream up this idea that maybe Beal can be somewhat of this team's answer as a point of attack defender. And I think I just have to say goodbye to that. I, I don't I don't think that's uh, going to be in the cards here. He just hasn't had to do that in such a long time. And even the best version of what maybe Beal could be guarding somebody like a Steph Curry or something like that, I'm just not really convinced that uh, even that is, is really the best choice, all things considered. So he's probably just going to be guarding the third or fourth option every night. Is that... Is that your kind of expectation heading into the year? Well, I think with with the defensive scheme in mind for the Suns, which is typically switching one through four, yeah. especially with Kevin Durant, I think matchup wise, like obviously having these um, having these roles for players like point of attack defender, wing stopper, those archetypes matter defensively. But when you get into switching, those matchups get so jumbled up that it's almost out of your control unless you have an Alex Caruso. Or somebody like that that you're tapping to one player and no one's switching with them. So kind of with that, I think we're going to see the positives and the negatives of Bradley as a defender. I think off the ball, he can get lost at times and be uh, a little mesmerized by the ball. And he's he's susceptible to back cuts and things like that, as most superstar players are. But I think generally as a team defender, he has the IQ in the field to be on time with his rotations, whether it's a two-man rotation or if he's sliding over to help somebody that's on the ball. I think he's more than capable of doing those things. And he has a wingspan requisite to fit this new rendition of the Suns where he's taking away some of those angles on passes or he's at least making a ball handler think about that angle before making the pass. Um, and then I think on the ball, you're going to see a little bit more of his worst in terms of being able to stay in front of the ball against the elite ball handlers. Yeah. And then also the big thing for me is screen navigation for him. He's not the best with it, though he is capable when he – has a, has a feel for what's going on, and the communication is there from the back line, even more so. So there's going to definitely be room for improvement there. But all in all, he's an average defender. And with the Suns team that should be solid defensively in communication, he should fit right in. Yeah, I mean, you said it great. I think the point of attack stuff that I'm talking about is, you know, I guess the the most consistent time that I would say 
I was thinking he might be able to do it, and now I'm a little bit less optimistic, is maybe when Aiton is defending the screener, right? If it's a 1-5 pick and roll and we don't expect the Suns to switch those quite as much, then you do want somebody who can fight through that screen and stay with that driver, contest, stay attached, contest from behind if needed, just make them feel that defender. Um, I'm not positive if that guy is going to be in the – if there's going to be a good version of that type of defender in the best lineups that this team will play. And so it might just have to be something that is a leaky part of what they are as a team. And it just happens that way, you know, but uh, the other point you hit on that I referenced in that last segment about kind of the freewheeling and the, the feel that actually I do think sometimes that can demonstrate. I think of it almost the same with like sometimes college players when you're watching and trying to scout guys when they're coming up and it's just kind of broken and messy. And you just have to try to say, see like, are they looking the right places? Are they reading the game? Are they still rotating, but the effort might not just be there? Things like that. And obviously, he's an established defender in the league. I didn't have any reason to doubt that. But I guess my thing would be he didn't develop too bad of instincts while he was on that Washington team. I think he knew what he was supposed to be doing. It's just maybe he didn't always do it or the rest of the team around him wasn't domino effect their way to needing him to be in the right place because there were so many other breakdowns and I, and I get that and I think what you're saying about you know that being the case with superstars on even better teams sometimes is also definitely uh, valid but the other thing I, I if we're transitioning a little bit into like how he can still be at his best and kind of dominate within that role um, I think one of the positives this year will be for him that this team's bigger than Washington was last year right so you know, like I was watching, I just happened to pick the Timberwolves game because he had a big scoring night from like February um, just to watch one. And he was guarding Jaden McDaniels because it's like technically that's the third, fourth guy on Minnesota. But because they were starting Monte Morris and uh, they had Darrell Wright out there a lot and all these other things it ended up and they wanted Kuzma to guard Ant and like all this stuff ends up. And now he's guarding Jaden McDaniels, giving up offensive rebounds, can't contest the shot very well, all this stuff. So he won't be put in that spot anymore, right? Like if they play the Nuggets, he's guarding KCP. And that's that's what you want, right? He's not going to have to be guarding uh, Michael Porter Jr. or something. So I think that could help him. Yeah, for sure. And I think I think something else that could potentially help this rendition of the, of the Suns, and I'm hoping with Frank Vogel being a defensive-minded coach, of course, one of the better defensive minds, across the NBA in terms of a head coach. I would love to see DeAndre Ayton more aggressive in pick and roll coverage defensively. Mm -hmm. One way to mitigate having average to sometimes suspect um, screen navigators is having an aggressive big in, uh, in pick and roll defense. Even if it's not necessarily hedging out and putting a blitz on the ball, if it's a short drop or a flat hedge, you can at least deter that navigating and getting downhill right away, which will allow for that guard to have time to navigate over and get back to neutral in terms of leverage on the ball. And then at that point, you can keep your defense out of rotation, and then you've just neutralized an advantage that was trying to be created. Meanwhile, that's like six seconds off the shot clock as well. So yeah. I would just love to see Aiden moved around the, the chessboard a little bit more from Frank Vogel. And I think if any coach is going to do that in terms of who is available, it's him. Yeah, I mean, Aiden might not be Anthony Davis, but if I'm Vogel, I'm just showing him highlights from those two best AD years, right? And just being like, mm -hmm. we're going to get you as close to this as you're going to get. Like, we might mm -hmm. not get you to being a defensive player of the year quality guy, and that's not the expectation. You don't have to get down on yourself if if you're not at that level. But, like, let's just see how far we can take this because that was one of the things I think a lot of Suns fans were disappointed with 
with Monty, it's like, yeah, okay, it's it's one thing to say, oh, just switch him onto the perimeter. Like, not very many teams switch one through five every single ball screen, right? But like, can you do other things? Take advantage of his mobility, his length, his athleticism, and they just didn't do that. And I think the other thing is it just gets predictable too, right? Where it's like. Mm-hmm the offensive player on the other end just knows, all right, Aiden's going to be in a drop. What am I going to do off of that? It doesn't even, I don't have to read anything. I just know it. Right. Yeah. You have to, you have to, especially when you have a mobile five, which is Aiden is a unicorn in that sense, in terms of the center realm. When you have one like that, you have to have a level of scheme versatility defensively to where you're not allowing guards like Jamal Murray to automatically know what ball coverage it is when he comes off the screen which keeps them in a position to dictate. And you want to be able to dictate defensively. And I know Frank Vogel is 1,000% in that um, in terms of how he wants his defense to be set, What regardless of what the base coverages are. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. And uh, I know it's not the Aiden show, but also just seeing Aiden be used in a way that we saw he can do things uh, defensively in the 2021 playoffs. We didn't see that in 2022, and we obviously, obviously didn't see that this past season in the playoffs. So seeing Frank Vogel get the Aiden out of him that beat his uh, Los Angeles Lakers in that first round in 21 is going to be interesting to watch and see how how that dynamic unfolds Yeah, and how it and helps Vogel, the guard even more so. Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's the thing, right? It's it, We're not talking about Aiden, but I do think it's, it's relevant here because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, everything's connected and, and how they plug some of the holes that resulted from how they built the roster – especially after the Beal trade, it's all, it's all part of it. So yeah, I mean, Vogel referenced that Aiton trade at his press conference or that Aiton series, the way he played against the Lakers that year, they went to the finals in his press conference when he got hired. And, you know, that was his kind of go-to thing of what are you going to do to get more out of Aiton? Do you, what's your, what's his potential, whatever. And he just kind of kept repeating, like I I saw it and I I think we can get that out of him again. And that's kind of the point I've made too, right? Like he doesn't need to get to be, Anthony Davis, for instance, who we just talked about. He needs to get back to 2021 and see what steps he can take forward from there, and he'll be a pretty valuable player and be able to plug for somebody like Beal, I think. So you're, you're completely right. Let's zoom out, though, in the last segment, talk a little bit about chemistry, relationships, coaching, some of the other stuff that might affect Beal in his first season outside of Washington. We'll do that after a quick break. First, today's show brought to you by FanDuel, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. We love FanDuel here. We use their odds on the show all the time, and... Get ready for the NFL season. We're already in it with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $5, who bet $5, get $200. $200 is what you're getting, and bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Sounds like the promotion's still going, so if you missed week one, maybe you're feeling a little bit of FOMO and you always have to watch the Cardinals if you're local and you hate that as much as I do, you just might turn on another team. It doesn't even matter if they're your favorite team. Just watch something else. I don't blame you at all. Now's the best time to join FanDuel while the NFL season is getting started. The app is easy to use. You can bet on everything from spreads, player props, and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right. Let's uh, close things out with some big picture stuff here, Stephen. And um, I was going back through and I've compared Beal in terms of what his sacrifice and role change will be like to Ray Allen. You know, that's pretty one-to-one, a guard who had the ball a lot in one situation and then was the most natural guy to morph into an off ball role on a super team, which obviously was Boston for Ray. But from a 
kind of mentality standpoint too, I think you would include Chris Bosch there. And I'm sure there's other examples. A lot of those guys have said like they kind of had to go through it to really understand what that sacrifice was going to look like and how different their day-to-day, game-to-game experience was going to be as a player. I think Beal will have the biggest adjustment on this team, on the court, off the court, and just sort of what his mentality is going to have to be. And I don't have like a super great like take on that because I don't know the guy and we haven't seen anything yet, but... I guess maybe just don't be surprised or like too down on it if it takes a month or two before we see the absolute best version of Beal. At least that's what I'm expecting. Yeah, I don't think I don't think uh, you're wrong in your assessment at all, especially when comparing it to players that have had to make that transition in seasons past. I do, however, think kind of like with how Ray Allen was with the Celtics, the fact that Ray was very good on the ball, but was optimized when his off-the-ball dynamic has his full feel on the game on a consistent basis to where he doesn't have to initiate pick and rolls unless it's just an in addition to. I think that's what it's going to be with Bradley Bill, kind of looking at it from that perspective. So we talked about him working off the of handoffs and how efficient and effective he is in that scenario, as well as in pick and roll. Um, we didn't mention him coming off of screens. And I think that's somewhere where the Suns didn't necessarily use that dynamic of the offense as much unless it was for Booker and Durant last season. I think now having a third piece that can operate in a lot of those same sets and actions and potentially even expanding the playbook if you're Kevin Young to where he's being used as a baseline runner, coming off a floppy potentially at times and things like that, it's going to be important. And there's definitely going to be sacrifice that comes in that, as you've mentioned, in terms of meshing the pieces together. But I do think that if you scour across the entire NBA for pieces that make sense, If you're trying to build around Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, I don't think there's a player that could take more advantage of the type of scenarios that this team can put teams into than Bradley Beal can, whether it be the the corner shots or the second side shots that we've spoken on before, whether that be attacking closeouts, whether that be initiating off of a second side pick and roll or handoffs, all of these different things are even cutting, of course. Beal excels at all those things, and now that there's not a demand on him to do it for every possession, and it's in addition to the sky's the limit with this dude and his team at this point. I like it. I mean, I'm I'm willing to believe everything you said, and I do agree. The fit is really nice. Uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm uh, overthinking what that sacrifice will have to be because if he still feels involved and is getting touches and everything, even if he's not necessarily dribbling and initiating everything like he had to do in Washington, I mean, if like from a distance, not being him, not being an NBA player who has to actually experience any of it, just in a vacuum, my head, whatever. Like I, I feel like I could find a way to be pretty excited about what I think he's going to be able to do. But um, obviously, we'll see. Um, the other element that I would say I, I kind of thought of on the on the big picture side. I mean, I think we're all kind of waiting to see what what and how the offense changes with Kevin Young maybe having a little more influence, but obviously some of Frank Vogel's principles and philosophies being in there. You know, a lot of what we've talked about today has been just building off of what they already had with, you know, Booker and even Chris Paul and some of the the base actions that they had there. But, you know, there will be probably some different layers and things to what we're saying. But um, the other part is, who does he develop chemistry with, right? Like, I think the star players, it should be pretty natural. But I was even thinking, like, you know, he is pretty likely to benefit from, I think, better screeners here, right? Like, I think Aiton and Eubanks are 
better screeners than Porzingis. I mean, Porzingis is huge, but it's not as if he's Steven Adams out there, right? Like he is still pretty finesse and pretty, you know, he's going to slip it, slip the screen or he's trying to get the ball or he's just kind of trying not to get hurt, you know, I mean, like at the end of the day. So I think that's an element where he could do it. Which lineups does he really sync with? What, what makes him feel the most comfortable? I'm kind of looking forward to that as well. Just it's all going to be new this year, but especially for him, just like what really makes him feel the best. And I think we'll really know that as the season goes on. I think you said that well, and he will certainly benefit from the willing screener in at least DeAndre Aiden that we know he is and wants to be. And I think that'll help with off the ball actions, especially. Um, I also think that Bill is a player that is, I think he most closely in terms of across the NBA fits as much in the Clay Thompson ilk as any other player in terms of being an elite spot up, uh, being able to obviously be one pass away and wreak havoc from that spot, but also being able to screen on the ball, whether he's the first screener and double drag, which obviously the Suns have run at nauseum pretty much more than any team in the NBA over the last three seasons now, um, or if he's ghosting, getting into those actions and just creating reaction advantages, just little things for the Suns to play off of that, it's like kind of off script and unpredictable at times. I think those are the little places where he's just going to really be just a trump card for this team in terms of adding to what they already had in this new rendition. Yeah, it's exciting. I hope he's excited. Like, that's the thing. I, I kind of want to hear from him more because it was really cool to hear him talk at the press conference about, you know, not that I didn't realize it. Of course, I, I'm an NBA fan. I know Bradley Beal was only ever on the Wizards, but that's a cool thing to be able to do to like, I mean, obviously with the, with the no trade clause, he directly got to pick where he wanted to go, but you know, it's a, it's a new situation. It's the first time he's ever been in a new organization with new people and great teammates and all that stuff. And like, I kind of just want to know more about his mentality, not just because like, you know, I, is he going to sacrifice, but just, I'd like to like get to know him as a player and as a, as a guy more because he's one of the most, I think kind of under talked about important players in the whole scale of the NBA this year. Right. And, um, I think there's a lot of doubt about him maybe too, and just sort of wondering and he's on a bad team and this and that, but as we talked about, like everything's kind of setting up for him to, to really impress people and fit right in and be really good. So I'm, I'm glad I brought you on because I feel like I've been pumping the, the Beal stuff up and being really optimistic. And I feel, I don't know, our fans are found fans down on it. What's your vibe on that? Not from down on the I, trade, but like, are they skeptical? Are they wondering? Or is everybody as as hyped as we are? From what I see, it's, it's teetering from appropriate to a little bit overboard, which okay. for fans, this is this, that's what you want in terms of <laughs> yeah. when you're constructing your roster. But I do think that a lot of the thoughts that they have is, is definitely fair. I mean, you just added another elite offensive talent to having already two of the top 10, however you want to slice it. So... Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. There's gonna be a lot of pyrotechnics on the offensive side. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. That will wrap us up. That was question number four, four of our 13 questions that will define the Phoenix Sun season preview series. We'll have number five tomorrow, hopefully talking about Matt Ishbia with Aaron Edwards. So hit follow, hit subscribe, get the show in your feed every day, get question number five tomorrow, and then six through ten next week. You can also read Steven's writing about this team at Bright Side of the Sun. He pops up on all number of podcasts from time to time as well. And I would recommend, if you are a basketball fan, turn on the WNBA playoffs. They are playing his Chicago Sky, playing the number one seeded 
Las Vegas Aces. So check that stuff out. I'm sure he'll be doing podcasts and writing about that series. All right, guys, I will talk to you 